Welcome to the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations podcast, The Leadership Equation, The Role of Personality. I'm Melody Rawlings in the School of Business at North Central University, and today I'm joined by Dr. George Manning from Northern Kentucky University. Dr. Manning is a professor of psychology and business and an internationally known speaker, author of 11 books, and consultant to business, industry, and government. This is a very special podcast for me because Dr. Manning was my very first professor when I was an undergraduate student. I took his Intro to Psychology course, and it was one of my very favorite classes. Not only my first year of college, but I've always remembered what I learned in that course and how Dr. Manning made learning fun. So here we are, years later, we won't say how many, recording a podcast together. Dr. Manning, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with me about the role of personality in leadership. Well, it's a big honor uh, for me and for Kent. Kent's not with us today on this, but um, he's with us in every way and he's probably listening as we talk. So we're, we're happy to be here. That's great. And um, I know the 2022 seventh edition of your book, The Art of Leadership, that you co-authored with Dr. Kent Curtis that you just mentioned, was recently released. And we will center our discussion on a chapter from that book. And by the way, Dr. Curtis was my doctoral chair and mentor. What a privilege it, it is to know both of these esteemed authors. And the book has meant so much to me through the years, and I've cited it often. It is a popular text among students and practitioners alike, and uh, I have always appreciated that it's written in a very relatable and easy-to-read format. So um, let's go ahead and jump into some questions that I would like to ask you, Dr. Manning. So in Chapter 15 of The Art of Leadership, you discuss the role of personality in leadership. But as part of that discussion, you describe the importance of self-concept. So would you share with, uh, with us what self-concept means and how it affects our lives? I think uh, after basic biology, uh, the three most important things that will uh, determine a human life are the people we're around and the books we read and our self-concept. And if you'll think about it, maybe we've been around people who would tear us down if they were given a chance or been around people who would lift us up and make our life great if given a chance. Uh, To me, it's a IQ test to surround yourself with people who will lift you up and make your life great at any point in time. And there's a thought, um, you know, a theory to test that at any point in time, we become the average of our five best friends. So you for sure want to be around people who are positive versus negative and healthy versus unhealthy, and be that way yourself, too. With regard to books, um, you know, if you want to know what's going to happen in a society 10 years, 20, 30 years out, uh, look at the books that the children are reading in their ages, especially 10 through 20. And it helps explain a lot. So the books we read, And by extension, other media, whether it's videos and films and games and such, help decide a human life. So the answer is to, um, if it's garbage in and garbage out, and if it's good in and good out, be sure to expose 
oneself to right thinking and and concepts of virtue and concepts that are helpful to the person and the society. And the, and the third is the self-concept. And um, if we look in the mirror and say, you know, you got your problems, but you're okay. It's kind of reflective of a positive self-concept. But if you look in the mirror and you say, you know, you're to this and not enough that, and this, these thoughts can put you in a bad mood, which would result in bad behavior, which could reinforce the bad thoughts in a terrible spiral downward. So what we want to do is deal with reality, but accentuate the positive, especially with regard to our concept of ourself. Um, and, you know, I got a good example of that. Uh, in the book, I talk about um, there was a banker who would regularly drop a coin in a beggar's cup. Unlike most people, the banker would insist on receiving one of the pencils that the beggar had with him. The banker would say, you are a merchant, and I always expect to receive good value from the merchants with whom I do business. One day, the beggar was gone. Some years later, the banker walked by a concession stand, and there was the former beggar, now a shopkeeper. The shopkeeper said, I always hoped you might come by someday. You are largely responsible for me being here. You kept telling me that I was a merchant. I started thinking of myself that way. Instead of a beggar receiving gifts, I started selling pencils, lots of them. You gave me self-respect and caused me to look at myself differently. So... Our self-concept at any point in time um, is an unfolding thing. And we have developmental tasks of childhood and, and teens and young adulthood and middle adulthood and later adulthood and so on. And if we're making progress toward achieving those developmental tasks, our concept of ourself uh, will be positive and it will be helpful for dealing the, with the future um, uh, challenges that we have. So self-concept is a very important subject. Such an interesting story uh, about the banker. And I do remember the story um, from, from the text and um, self-concept, how we see ourselves, you're right, has such a, an impact in, in basically every area of our life. Um, and that also makes me think of, of uh, my next question, which is about, uh, you know, personality tests. So most of us do love to, to take personality tests and kind of see where we fall on the scale. And, and I know that you and Dr. Curtis have included many fun and insightful assessments in each chapter of the book. And one that I found especially interesting was the interpersonal style questionnaire. So would you explain how our personality and self-concept affects our interpersonal relationships? You kind of touched on that already, but would you go a little bit deeper into that and also how that style questionnaire can provide insight? Yeah. Um, personality has been of interest to people for a long time. I mean, in previous centuries, um, there's a person who had great impact in the uh, 1800s in the, in the field of philosophy and theology and psychology, uh, a Danish uh, fella, uh, Soren Kierkegaard. And in terms of personality, he thought there were two kinds of people, uh, drivers and drifters on the one hand and givers and takers on the other. And he thought 
uh, a person would be well served, a, a family, a society would be well served if you had driving givers, not drifting takers in terms of personalities. Uh, another significant contributor on the subject of personality, a major one, was Gordon Allport at Harvard, kind of the dean of personality. And he um, thought that the, our language was the key uh, and there could be traits that would cluster together that could help explain uh, people. And um, he also thought that there, was, uh, there were levels of strength of personality. And he coined the term cardinal disposition and central tendencies and secondary traits. So like if a person had a cardinal disposition, it, it defined them so well, everybody know what they were talking about. You know, are they an artist? Are they a scientist? Are they a Scrooge? Are they an optimist? And it's a cardinal uh, disposition that explains them. Um, and also, there are central tendencies that help explain a person uh, or define a person, make us understand them. For example, some people are more dominant and some people more submissive. Some people are more extroverted and some people are more introverted. And some people love variety and some people love routine. And some people are high strung and some people are calm and so on. And ever what you are, that helps explain um, your personality. And then the secondary traits were things that do tend to change, not a lot, but change uh, to a degree over time. Somebody might like outdoors, somebody might like books, somebody might like animals, somebody might like mechanics and cars. So that too helps explain uh why people do what they do and their personality. But there's there's uh, an interesting concept of style, of interpersonal relations that uh, is very useful, especially, uh, well, for understanding and dealing with all people, whether you're a leader or not, a parent or not. But anyway, styles of interpersonal relations, and one way to look at it, there's the traditional and there's the participative and then there's the individualistic. And just like individuals are this way, whole societies are this way. And the old world cultures, old Germany, old England, old Spain, and most Asian cultures are more traditional. Uh, Confucianism as a worldview is a, a traditional worldview. And the melting pot societies like the United States is, is more participative. Um, in fact, uh, 60% of Americans would be that way, and 20% would be the more traditional, and 20% would be this third style of interpersonal relations, more individualistic. And they tend to be found in the Mediterranean, the French, the Italians, the Greeks. Uh, the Greek civilization was a individualistic uh, focus, not on the group, but more on the individual. Um, now, so if this is a good self-report exercise to understand and appreciate and even celebrate the differences uh, and the gifts that each could bring, it's good to have maybe some archetypes in history and that make you proud to be a 
traditional, proud to be participative or proud to be individualistic. And plus, it's it's fun to use words that make it fun. And so years ago, in early 70s, 71 too, I thought, well, what about chocolate, vanilla and strawberry? And so the chocolate traditional and the vanilla participative and the strawberry individualistic. And the students just love that. And um, but anyway, a chocolate in history would be Moses, um, because um, his relationship to God is Ten Commandments, those standards and structures that chocolates bring to the table. Moses is a good example. And a woman in history who would be that way definitely would have been Queen Victoria, um, a, a more participative, human caring, human serving uh, kind of uh, style, better personal relations, the vanilla. A, a great example would be uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, people loving, people serving. She would be a perfect example of a of that vanilla personality, um, of a, a political figure who'd be that way, and everybody looks up to him as Benjamin Franklin. So if if he took the test in chapter fifteen, he would come out vanilla. And the strawberries, the individualistics who marched to the beat of their own drummer and and they um, love freedom and independence and are quite creative, uh, kind of go against the grain of tradition. Uh, the best example I can think of would be Joan, Joan of Arc, the patron saint of the French people. And of course, all Americans love this example of Henry David Thoreau. Uh, who would march to the beat of his own drummer. Well, nobody's purely any of these, but we tend to be like left-handed, right-handed. We tend to prefer one or the other and and bring those contributions that these different styles bring. If you think about trains for a second, who will tend to make your trains run right are your, are your chocolates with their high standards and sense of order and organization and desire for consistency and and... And who would make you want to get on the train and take the trip and actually work there and such would be your vanillas. Um, and then who <laughs> provides creativity from within and innovation and change from within? They keep the trip interesting is the individualistic strawberries. Well, over the years, I'd share this with exercise with people and maybe get a call and someone like General Dynamics, they'd say, George, that's pretty good, the chocolate and strawberry, but we've got a bunch of uh, engineer and science people. Could we use uh, solids, liquids, and gases to make the same point? And I'd, I'd say sure, because the point is to value the differences as strengths uh, and, uh, and be wise and caring and flexible to meet the needs of the different kind of people for their morale to be high and their productivity to be high. Because these kinds of instruments don't measure right and wrong and they don't measure important things such as commitment to the work or or integrity or intelligence they just measure this particular instrument in chapter 15 measures style of interpersonal relations um it, it's useful because whether at the workplace is face to face or you know even virtual uh so to speak um you take the chocolate style of interpersonal relations, they do want structure and routine and 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 such. If they're at home with the pandemic, 
they have to create their own structure and routine and do's and don'ts. And that's a little stressful for some, but they finally do it and, and they're productive. Um, the participatives with the pandemic and having to be home a lot, uh, just naturally loving people. Um, if you're doing things virtually with them, you need opportunities for, for them to interact and, and, um, and collaborate and, and meet their needs for that. And then the, the one that in this pandemic that's probably ad, advantage the most is the individualistic because they don't mind all this uh, uh, independence and freedom. They don't like a lot of close supervision anyway. But at any rate, say you're dealing with people uh, in person or online, uh, just understand uh, that they've got different orientations, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry, none of which are bad. And they all bring their gifts, if, like flowers in a garden, if their needs, if their needs are met. And um, so what the, um, I had a, a wonderful professor, uh, Victor Frankl, in the 60s uh, in Vienna, Austria, and he said, you know, the United States is lucky because it's got a Statue of Liberty on the East Coast, but what it needs is a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. And and I thought, yes, and a Statue of, of Love in the middle uh, in Missouri or Kansas. In effect, um, we need all three styles of interpersonal relations to make the best uh, product. Um, there's different industries that attract the different styles. If you take law enforcement, for example, or you know nuclear power plants, for example, uh, wherever there's safety uh, involved, you'll you'll tend to find more chocolates. Um, and then wherever there's the people uh, relationship that matters so much, like education and family practitioners, uh, family doctors and such, you'll find more vanillas. And wherever there's um, innovation and a new technology that's wanted, uh, such as uh, in entertainment and fashion and such, you'll find more strawberries. But the minute you get nothing but one thing there, you, you, you miss what the others bring to the table. And, um, and what everybody needs then is tolerance and appreciation uh, even celebrating what the others bring. There was an example years ago, people know that uh, movie, um, Lawrence of Arabia. And it came out, I guess, in the 63, 64, and it got shown and shown. It kind of got worn out. Well, they had to re remake it, reconstitute it so it looked good again. And so David Lean, the chocolate director, and Omar Sharif, the vanilla um, actor and Peter O'Toole, the strawberry actor, uh, had to work closely, you know, in the cutting room, editing room, and such for to make it good again. And and they did, and because they valued the gifts that each other would bring. Um, so, uh, uh, another good example of where this would fit. Um, years ago, there was a. Um, conference devoted to aviation safety and the subject was communication plays a part and the importance of personality in the cockpit in the control tower and in the boardroom and 
and um, Eastern Airline at the time paid for it, and the FAA sponsored it, and it was done at Embry-Riddle. And who was in the audience was the big plane captains and the control tower supervisors and the boardroom people. And so they would use it for years, different airlines, for making cockpits, uh, not deciding who was in the cockpit, but for cockpit appreciation, so to speak, because you'd want variety. Just imagine if there was an emergency and there were both chocolates, there might not be enough uh, creativity to get outside the box. Or imagine if there was an emergency and they were both vanillas, they'd say, what do you want to do? And the other would say, I don't know, what do you want to do? And while they're talking, they might not be quick enough and fly into the mountain. And then the strawberries, so individualistic and not rules and regs oriented, they, they probably created the emergency and they'd be looking for uh, guidance. And they said, was there a book in here? Was there a box in here? And, 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 and so what you'd want is variety in the cockpit, but the minute you put variety in a family or in a boardroom or in a control tower, everybody's got to take a tolerance pill and be appreciative and, and slide over and meet each other's different needs. And they truly are different needs. And um, so I, I think that uh, tests like that, they're called typical performance versus maximum performance tests, uh, can be useful not to decide who to parole or who to marry because it's probably been no validity study done and that would be an abuse of them, but to understand and appreciate uh, differences. Um, just imagine, for example, you had three bosses and, you know, over time, and if they were this traditional chocolate, um, that person's strategic emphasis uh uh, would be on stability and standards. If you had a vanilla boss, her, his emphasis would be on communication and teamwork as a strategic emphasis for success. And if it was an individualistic kind of leader, it would be on innovation and change. Um, just like behavioral norms for the traditional boss, they would want rules and policies and procedures and the interactive Vanilla boss would want warmth and support as a behavioral norm, the team concept. And this strawberry individualistic boss uh, would would feature and, and want independent effort and creativity. Um, and let's just talk about if you were over a chocolate, that employee would want clarity and predictability and dependability. And if it's missing, um, they'd be a morale casualty. And if you were over a participative vanilla employee, let's say, they like encouragement and involvement in the uh, activities and to be appreciated, uh, uh, not as a tool, interchangeable and replaceable, but appreciated as a person. And they have that need. And if you had a strawberry or individualistic kind of a of uh, employee reporting uh, to you, they, they're driven by meaningful work and freedom. They don't like close supervision. They're like, you know, it's like turning off the water and turning off the sun, they'll, they'll wither on the vine. So at any rate, um, 
personality is an important question in the leadership equation. And uh, just like other chapters in the book, there's exercises and assessments for people to understand and, and use. That's great information. I love that you uh, talk about gifts that each one of us have and that each one of us bring to the table. And, and, uh, and I love the, uh, also the analogy of the flower garden. So, so everybody, uh, all the flowers in the garden all look the same. Um, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't be as, as beautiful or lovely as it is with all the different types of flowers. So, so I love that analogy. Um, and I, and the whole chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, that always stuck with me from when I learned that back when I had you in, in class. And, and so I always remembered that. And so it's, it's a really neat way to, to think about how the, the differences, it doesn't make anyone, um, less than anyone else. They're all, like you said, they're all, they're all, uh, good. They're, there's, they're not bad. It's just, they're different. And so I think that, you know, differences should be celebrated and, and recognized uh, for the value, the value they, they bring for sure. So do you have any final thoughts or advice that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, it's good to have a, an analogy or two in mind. And, um, you know, we've heard about America being a melting pot. And it, it seems to me what's more descriptive is we're like a kaleidoscope. We don't want to melt people down to be all the same, like you said, but we we want the differences to shine. But when they are of one, so to speak, as a kaleidoscope, it's it's the more beautiful, the better. And it's like crayons in a box. You want all the different crayons f- for to make beautiful pictures and beautiful things, but we all have to live in the same box. So we really have to value. Uh, the differences that people bring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's exactly right. So uh, as long as we, when we do that, though, I, you know, it, it helps us to put into context and help us to understand people better um, so that because we all are different. So um, would you share with our listeners where they can purchase a copy of your book? Well, it, you know how there's what they call trade books that, and then there's what they call textbooks. And uh, textbooks cost a fortune. So where they would find this is on McGraw-Hill's website. Uh, then time goes on, uh, they would find it on Amazon. The previous editions are on Amazon. This one will, the, the seventh edition will be on Amazon as well. And, uh, but that's, but for now, the right thing to do is check with uh, McGraw-Hill. Sure. And so the, again, the title of the book is The Art of Leadership by Dr. George Manning and Dr. Kent Curtis. Dr. Manning, thank you so much for joining us in support of the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations. We truly appreciate your insights, and we know our listeners will benefit from your experience. I really enjoyed being with you. And um a low-tech person like me, we appreciate all the help that we can get from the high-tech people because there's so much to be gained with um, these things like the internet and the computers and all. So I know your audience is oriented that way and, you know, I'm thankful for it. Well, we were thankful to have you uh, to join us. So I appreciate it so much. Take care.